Welcome to the PreparedX podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello and welcome to episode 98 of the PreparedX podcast. I'm your host, Rob Burton. And before we get started, I just want to let you know this episode is brought to you by the International Crisis Management Conference. This year, our conference is on June 7th and 8th in Newport, Rhode Island, the beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. We hope you can make it uh, on June 7th and 8th. Check out all the details at crisisconferences.com. That's crisisconferences.com. We look forward to seeing you uh, in June. Today, I'm joined by Eric uh, Endress. Hello, Eric. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Eric is the CEO and co-founder of OnScene Technologies Incorporated, based in New York City metro area. And before we get started, Eric, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your background and please let our audience know a little bit more about Eric. Sure, thank you. And thank you for having me on. Um, my background's kind of interesting. Uh, my journey to where I am today has, is actually a combination of a whole variety of life experiences that I didn't know would one day connect. Um, I became a volunteer firefighter and first responder in my hometown of uh, Ramsey, New Jersey in 1984 when I was in high school, which is about 33 years ago. Um, and I still do that today. I worked my way through college as a 911 emergency communications dispatcher in two different 911 centers. And that was all long before all the technology that exists today in 911 uh, was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I cut my teeth in the technology business working for several uh, very prominent startups in kind of the early days of the internet when we all started discovering that we could use the internet for things like shopping or getting finance information or buying tickets online, all things that today are incredibly commonplace in the late 90s and early 2000s. You know, if you wanted to buy, get a ticket to go see your favorite band playing in a stadium, uh, that was that was not easy. So I, I, I kind of cut my teeth solving problems with technology, um, which really, you know, is kind of my groove. Great. And then... I was a school board member for uh, quite some time, and all these things kind of connect because when I became a school board member, I, you know, with my safety background, I started asking a lot of questions about what happens during lockdowns and how do people get kept safe. And I learned that that whole process was really, you know, prime for improvement, as we've all seen through terrible tragedies. And that led me to solve my own problem with technology, which was to create our product share 911 in 2012. And um, we started showing, you know, conceptually showing it to school superintendents and law enforcement personnel in a PowerPoint. And everybody was like, wow, this is pretty revolutionary stuff. If you actually build this, let me know, because you're going to change everything about communication during emergencies. And I was like, okay, great. And then in December of 2012, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting happened. And quite literally the next day, all the people that we had been talking to called us and said, when can we start using this? Because right. it, it's obvious that this is needed. And, and that's where we started. 
Well, great. What, what a journey you've been on, Eric. And uh, we're glad to um, have you at the conference coming up in June. So we appreciate your support there. And uh, I'm pleased that you could join us today uh, for the podcast. I'm looking forward to visiting Newport to one of my favorite places. And uh, I have a couple of favorite restaurants and ice cream shops along the way to get there. So, uh, <laughs> nice, nice. Well, can't wait to hear to about the Coast them. Guard House in, uh, in, uh, in Rhode Island. On oh, yeah, yeah. In Narragansett, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and brickley's ice cream yeah oh yeah, this oh, podcast, yeah yes. not very... sponsored by them I'm, we're just talking about it <laughs> <laughs> very very popular venues for sure okay oh, let, yeah. let, let's get started uh here eric uh, I, i've been starting with this question uh probably in the last 10 episodes uh, with our guests and uh you know what's the most challenging role during your career so far and why <laughs> wow that, that's a great question um <laughs> You know, I've, I've done a lot of different things during my career, as I kind of alluded to. There's there's more that nobody needs to know about, but certainly this role um, has been the most challenging for a couple of reasons. First of all, I had to I, I didn't really know anything about how to take the idea I had and turn it into a business. Um, and I also had to figure out how I was going to support my family and uh, you know, make a living while I was trying to start a startup doing something that nobody had ever tried to do before. Right. So there was all that risk. And, and luckily, my wife was very supportive. Um, and, you know, when we started, we didn't raise any money. Uh, I quit my job once we knew that we had, you know, uh, a business here. And then we went, you know, probably close to two years without any income at all. You know, any money that we were making, we were putting right back into the business. And, uh, you know, that's not easy. Oh. But, but really, the you know the the real challenge of doing this, and, and the reason that this is my most challenging thing is, unlike a lot of other startups or a lot of other apps and technology that you might have on your phone, you know what we do it really comes down to life or death communication in some cases, and and that's a big responsibility. My wife, when we launched the business, and I, I was like, yeah, we're going to call it Chair Nine One One, and she's like, can't you come up with another name because the name alone you know, implies that this is really important stuff. And, um, you know, bringing that to market and then recognizing that you really don't have a failure option in what we do. So there, there's, there's, I would challenge most people to look at their phone and scroll through their apps and, and say, what other app on my phone am I going to have to use when I think I'm, you know, feet away from a gun, gunfire or I'm trying to evacuate a shopping center where my school goes into lockdown. So there's all those challenges. You know, we, we don't have room for uh, messaging delays or the app not working or um, information not updating when it's supposed to update in real time. So all those things create risk for us. And, you know, that risk for me was, was most uh, identified. We uh, did some business with one of the, I can't name it because of an NDA, but it's a very tall building in New York City, <laughs> very high profile building. Mm -hmm. And um, they deployed our software there. And, you know, after the meeting where the head of security said, yep, you know, we believe in this. This is amazing what you're doing. He pulled me into his office, just him and I. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, you know, I want you to understand before you say yes, that if something, if, if we have a major emergency in this building and people are injured or die, while they're trying to use your app, you're probably going to end up testifying in front of Congress, you know, and that's cool. a big responsibility. Right. And I said, 
I understand that, you know, and it, it is a big responsibility and it's unlike, you know, that's the moment when in the back of your head, you're kind of saying, couldn't I have just created an app that helps people find umbrellas on rainy days? You know, right, wouldn't yeah, that yeah. be easier? Right. You know, yeah. where do I get a dog walker? But no, we kind of chose to do something that, uh, you know, is, is very important and, and, and really also has a, a zero failure opportunity. Well, that's a, a great way to, to kick us off here. And um, I appreciate you sharing those uh, thoughts with us. Um, as we live in this world that we live in with these, you know, ever evolving threats um, to our environments, um, you know, this obviously is, the threats come, you know, to governments, non-government groups, you know, non-profits, obviously schools and, you know, and businesses as well. Anywhere where there's an audience, really, and a group of people mm -hmm. come together, we seem to have these a variety of different risks that uh, organizations and governments need to manage. How can early warning systems support immediate responses? And do you have any examples of why early warning systems work? Well, you know, I'm... I'm a big fan of early warning systems. And, you know, what's interesting about where we are from a technology perspective is that there's all sorts of early warning systems now that work really well in most of the time, you know, whether that's a severe weather warning that a tornado is, you know, on the way, earthquake warnings, facial recognition systems that might pick off, uh, you know, someone who's entering your building or on your campus that isn't supposed to be there, license plate readers, weapons detection, we have a, a customer that has a, a drone detection system in case a, a you know a UAV is coming towards their property, and um, you know uh, they they want to be warned about that as early as possible. And then you look at things like risk intelligence that, uh, that your our friends at Onsolve do, uh, which I think is fantastic. And when you tie all those things together, you're getting a lot of early warning. In our case, we look at you know even closer in warning, right? So uh, an example of that might be a 911 center or a police department that's taking in 911 calls, reporting something that the people in a building, a school, a workplace, whatever, may not even know is happening within the perimeter or on the perimeter of their property. So mm -hmm. that early warning may only be seconds or minutes mm -hmm. um, and we're facilitating that. It could be a law enforcement officer on routine patrol or responding to a you know, a situation where he needs to quickly be able to put large capacity buildings onto, into lockdown or lock them down. Or it, that early warning could come from, you know, your coworker or, or someone who sees something on the campus that you work at. And, you know, really, I, I can't think of too many other examples other than Parkland where, <clears throat> excuse me, if you, if you think about that initial couple seconds of that incident when uh, the shooter gets out of the, the uber and comes through the fence and the security guard or you know i think he was a security person i'm not sure exactly but he identified that that was the bad guy that everybody knew who he was and what did he do he turned his golf cart and went back to you know i guess he was going to the communication center or security center or wherever but imagine if he had the ability to sound the alarm right there. If he had been able to put this, the entire campus into lockdown, that early warning, even though it might have only been 90 seconds, seconds. is more warning than yeah. they got. Um, and that's really what we were trying to do when we built this is to empower everybody who's in that ecosystem to be able to sound the alarm because that did not exist before.
Sure, sure. Um, what are the key features of having uh, an emergency notification application? Um, you, you know that is meant to notify uh, stakeholders of, of danger. So you know, with, within the application, uh, you know, if there are listeners out there, you know, looking to um, you know to implement some kind of notification application, you know, what what should they be pointing at in terms of uh, you know key features w- within a tool like that? Well, the most critical factors, in my opinion, are the ability to sound the alarm has to be available to everybody. You know, we've learned from Sandy Hook and, and all these other tragedies that when you have only a handful of people or maybe even one person who's able to, you know, issue the lockdown, call the evacuation, that's not going to work very well because in an ideal world, that, that's going to be great. The principal is always going to call the lockdown until the principal is not there or the principal is a victim. Everybody in the ecosystem needs to be able to share information. You know, it, it, it's not enough to, you know, put a school or a workplace or business into, into lockdown. You need to be able to get information back from the people who are, you know, who have eyes and ears on the situation. I, I remember when the Virginia Tech shooting happened and I was watching the, the police department. They had a presser and the chief or whoever was at the microphone said, we have all of our resources looking everywhere for the shooter. And I thought to myself, okay. That, how many cops could that be? Even if it's 30 cops on the Virginia Tech campus, what we're not getting is information from the 30,000 people who are on the I, campus yep. who may see the person. So, mm-hmm. you know, note, emergency notification in my world isn't just about mass notification one way. It's about two-way communication uh, in democratizing all that information. Yep. Um, and, and everybody needs to receive the information at the same time. It, you know, we, we, can't, we can't be getting it to some people right now and getting it to other people five minutes from now. Right. Um, you know, history has shown that gatekeepers are in the way. And, and the other key component that I encourage people to look at is portability. You know, years ago, we uh, did some business with uh, shopping centers. And when we went in to meet with the guy who was in charge of the shopping center and they had had a shooting, they had just recently had a shooting um, on their property. People were killed. And, I said to the general manager of the mall, how does, you know, how do you issue a lockdown here? He said, well, you know, that's a little complicated because uh, the security, if we learn about it, uh, someone has to tell us. And then one of us has to get down here to the basement. We're in the basement of the mall and the offices, you know, the, the caverns of the mall. And that computer over there, somebody has to get to that computer and then they have to enter a six digit pin code <laughs> right, yeah. two times to make sure that we're not doing it by accident. And right. then, and then they can send the lockdown. And I'm like, well, how long does that take? He goes, well, it could take a while. It, you know, and, and that's just not going to work. Right. It, it doesn't even work when you have a single point of contact PA system like, like we see in most schools that you have to get to be in the office or you have to get to a landline phone. Yep. You, could, you need people to be able to be anywhere and be able to push the button, sound the alarm and get the signal off. Sure. Yeah, I think even in the case of, uh, you know, you know, before it gets to the stage where the individual is walking onto the campus, as an example, um, if um, he or she, and it's typically a he, right, um, has (laughs) said something um, in the days leading up. um, I was watching one of those crime shows the other day, and they they did the profile uh, background check. And, and, you know, this individual murdered his family, I forget, um, I think it was in Canada somewhere. 
And uh, they, he had even told friends that um, next year, and he had spe specified on which month it was going to happen. And his friends just thought he was just, you know, you know, being a teenager or however, mm -hmm. you know, he was a young man. Um, and uh, but all these signs had, had led up to that point in time. And and we see that often, right? I'm sure, I'm sure you've done, you know, um, you know, many of these, um, you know, background um, analyses of uh, situations. And uh, we've worked with Marisa Randazzo in the past, and uh, she's, you know, profiler uh, by trade and uh and she she um you know she looks back on these uh all these events with uh you know with with a with a you know an eye on um you know these signs came up um what's your experience with that well you know unfortunately we have a number of customers who have been on the wrong side of that where they were gaining information and they didn't do anything about it until the threat was upon them and i think a lot of that is because people people genuinely want to believe that nothing bad is going to happen. Uh, you know, they they don't want to believe that they're the next school that's going to have a shooting. They don't believe any of their employees who get fired are ever going to show up. You know, three days later with a gun. Uh, you know, they they don't believe if they're in the healthcare organization that someone's going to be upset that you didn't save their loved one. And those are all those situations where you know we see sky high violence numbers we had see people getting shot doctors getting shot and nurses getting shot in hospitals because you know we knew that we had someone who was disgruntled and we were not prepared for that so it's critically important yeah what kind of scenarios require timely information um to, to those that are you know going to be you know in the crosshairs and of course we you know we use shooting as an example but it, it can be any you know violent uh, event of course yeah, sir. And we end up, it's kind of interesting because we end up talking a lot about active shooter situations and uh, violent intruder situations because it's, it's, it's what makes the news and it's what people worry about. But there's a lot of other situations where, you know, time sensitive distribution of information is really critical. If you look at the tornado strike on the Amazon warehouse in Illinois, I think it was back in November, the, the site, the Amazon warehouse was getting tornado warnings you know, that started in between 806 and like 816. Mm -hmm. And at 827, you know, less than 10 minutes later, the building was hit by the tornado. Yeah. So, you know, think about, they had literally 10 minutes in between getting, you know, what was probably some sort of text message from the National Weather Service, like we all get when we're near severe weather, to having to decide what we're going to do. And then, oh, by the way, you know, how do we alert all the people who are in the building? Uh, you know, these are, these are, these are huge facilities There are millions of square feet. There's, you know, hundreds of people in the building. You have to be able to communicate in a hurry because the clock is ticking. Yeah. Um, so uh, and we're seeing that with live events as well, where there's a, a immediacy of information flow that, you know, in some cases doesn't happen very well. Yeah, you, you know, you, you mentioned uh, as we just before we came on air today uh, about uh, a drill that you were involved with this morning. Um, and, and so as we start to kind of wrap up here, um, you know, from your perspective, um, can you let the audience know the importance of running exercises and drills? And of course, practicing with any technology that supports the emergency response capabilities? Sure. You know, I appreciate you bringing that up because, you know, practice and exercising and, and, and all that stuff is is really a, a sore subject for me because I don't think that workplaces and schools and, and other venues, you know, really practice 
as much as they should. As a firefighter and a, a heavy rescue operator, you know, our my my team's core function is to rescue people from cars. You know, once they're mangled around a telephone pole or underneath a tractor trailer. So to be ready for that, we practice every week. Mm-hmm. And when we practice for that, we practice by smashing the car or putting, you know, throwing it off of a cliff or putting it underneath, literally putting it underneath a tractor trailer. Yep. And if you compare that to how most people kind of check the box and say, oh, look, you know, we're having our lockdown drill, you know, okay, lockdown. And five minutes later, we pull, we check to see if the doors were locked. That's better than doing nothing, but it's right. certainly not helping people get the, you know, the start to finish piece of the puzzle that they're going to need to be able to react properly. And yep. you have to, you have to do it with repetition. You know, if you look at, I, I was looking at like NASCAR uh, pit crews and motorsports pit crews who are able to, you know, completely change four sets of tires, gas the car, rip off the window film and give the driver <laughs> two, a two diet sec- coke in two seconds, in, yeah, <laughs> in 13 seconds. Yeah. Right. So like, yeah. think about, how much they had to practice to be able to get that lug wrench onto the tire, get the tire off, put the tire on. And that's the guy's only job. He's the right tire guy. Right. So, you know, it's not a, it shouldn't be a surprise to any of us that when actual gunfire is ringing out in a school or, you know, where you're in a, a baseball stadium or a bomb goes off in the, you know, at a concert that people don't have any idea what to do. You know, because they're not they're not practiced for it. They don't want to believe it's going to happen. And as a result, they're woefully unprepared. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, okay, Eric, finally, um, as we start to wrap up here, I appreciate your time today. Uh, could you provide the audience an overview of Share 911? Sure. Um, and again, I appreciate you having me on. This is it's a great discussion. Um, you know, at, at its core, what we built share 911 is it's really a time sensitive communication and messaging tool that that enables that communication through a, a variety of situations it could be that we need to alert people to take action it could be that i'm a, uh, a an employee at a place and i see something that i need to share with everybody um, or i i'm unable to account for people or it could even be commute staying in communication during an event um, which is something that most people are unprepared for. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we might be able to deliver the lockdown alert or call the evacuation, but how do we stay in communication with all those people? And that's something that Share 911 has built right, you know, in the middle of it, which people really appreciate. And then in addition to the messaging, it's really a, a real-time uh, dashboard for incident commanders. So, uh, like in, in my hometown of Rams in New Jersey, which is a fairly small town, there's it's a 30 person police department. Every police officer has this on their phone. Uh, they have it in, in the 911 center. So if something's happening, if there's an incident at our high school, our police officers are getting firsthand information delivered from the occupants of the building directly to their the app that's on their phone, disintermediating the entire normal flow of information. And mm-hmm. we do that at scale. So you could have uh, 10,000 people in your building and th- we're going to show those police officers, you know, this is where the threat is right now. Now he's here. Now he's here. This is where injured people are and tying in the navigation information to help them get there. Because we know from history that the speed of response is critical to saving lives and mitigating the threat. Certainly uh, without this information, you know, if what we saw when we started the business was cops would say, yeah, you know, we're going to respond to the building. 
We're going to form up in a diamond shape entry team. We're going to tactically clear every room through the building until we find the shooter. Okay, but what what if we can show you where the shooter is right now and right. you know and show you what the closest entry door stairwell and side of the building that is and that's exactly what we just went on at this drill that you mentioned which i love is the principal had uh, some of the teachers inject that they saw the threat and as a result of that information and everybody being able to see that the threat was by room 104 on the north end of the building the teachers on the south end of the building were decided to run, yep. um, you know, and, and that's the part that doesn't happen if you're just yelling lockdown into the PA system or you're making an announcement about, you know, that people should take this action. If you, you can't make any decision, if you don't know where the bat, the threat is, if yep. you don't know where the fire is or the smoke is, you're going to end up in a hallway or, you know, getting trapped by the situation. Um, you know, in, in, at the end of all that is it's really become a tool that our customers rely on for not just the worst case scenarios, because those are few and far between, but it really also supports their everyday communication for anything that's urgent. You know, mm -hmm. we have many customers, the power goes out in their building and all of a sudden their entire communication system is gone, right? Even radios now run on repeaters. And if the power is lost, they discover their radio system is off too. And then they turn, they realize that chair 911 is running on everybody's mobile phone and voila, that's your communication tool. Back, yep, until the power yep, comes yep, back yep, on. Yep, yep, yeah. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's really kind of the nuts and bolts of it. And, and, you know, if people following me on LinkedIn, which I, I hope they do, we'll see that we recently made a, a big move into the live event space and the, um, you know, venues and any kind of place where there's a crowd of people that could benefit from, you know, being better connected instead of, you know, just, just speaking to the employees. If I'm, if I'm uh, visiting a high rise building either for work or because I'm a tourist and I'm going to the observation deck and there's an emergency, I should be able to get notified instead of being left in the dark, because that's where people are going to end up not knowing what's going on you know we just had an incident at a very large shopping center the other day where employees are on the employees who work in the mall are on an app and they get they got notifications but the other ten thousand people who were in the mall had no you know did, don't have an app and they didn't get any kind of communication <coughs> excuse me so you know what we're trying to do is to create a temporary let's call it a temporal mass notification system that people who are in these places where there's large crowds and, and probably more likelihood of something going bad can onboard and offboard themselves uh, directly. So that's, that's really what we do. Great. Well, I appreciate you sharing that and um, appreciate you taking some time out of your busy day and all the important work that you're doing out there in the community. So, you know, th thanks again for joining us today. Um, oh, you know, pleasure. Eric, you, yeah, you, you mentioned you're, you're on LinkedIn there and uh, I certainly advocate following Eric. He does some um, really um, good posts. <coughs> uh, you got some great content as well with those videos you create, by the way, Eric. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I really, really, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm all about the content here at Prepared, <coughs> Prepared X and ICMC. So um, we, we love to see uh, creative content in, in our space because uh, there needs to be more of it. So any final comments for listeners and uh, how might they be able to contact you? <laughs> 
Um, well, first, obviously, I need a glass of water. I'm sorry, I'm coughing so much. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I really appreciate this. I'm, I'm super excited to be uh, attending and participating and sponsoring the conference. I'm looking forward to meeting everybody. Uh, people who want to contact me, obviously, LinkedIn, Direct Messenger. They can uh, call me, text me. My, uh, my, uh, I can give you give them my number if you want. It's not a, you know, it, it's all over the internet. It's two zero one three two zero three two one six. Um, or go to our website, which is getshare911.com. And, um, you know, we're happy to demonstrate this, answer questions, or if someone thinks what I just talked about is really cool and wants to talk about it more, give me a shout. And uh, I'm happy to talk to anybody about any of this anytime. Great. Uh, we, we appreciate that, Eric. And uh, again, thank you for your time today. We'll have your contact uh, information uh, in the bio um, under the show notes here. So again, thanks for your time today. Great. Take care. Thanks so much. Okay, that wraps up um, episode uh, 98 of the Prepared X podcast. I encourage you to rate us on iTunes or the other outlets where you may be listening to this. Uh, please make uh, any comments that uh, you feel are necessary. Uh, if you're listening to this via our website, we have a section to, you can comment underneath uh, the podcast recording. Again, thank you for listening in today. And until next time, have a safe and productive day. Mm -hmm.